0: Hello everybody, this is John Hagedorn, and welcome to 1001 Stories for the Road, also known as Caffeine for the Curious, and your home for good old-fashioned entertainment.
1: Throughout history, there have been many songs written about the eternal triangle. This next one tells the story of Mr. Grayson, a beautiful woman, and a condemned man named Tom Dooley. Sun rises tomorrow, Tom Dooley must hang. Hang down your head, Tom Dooley, hang down your head and cry. Hang down your head, Tom Dooley, poor boy, you're bound to
0: die. Hang down your head, Tom Dooley, hang down your head and cry. Hang down your head, Tom Dooley, poor boy, you're bound to die. These are the words which begin the old folk song, Hang Down Your Head, Tom Dooley, which was popularized by the Kingston Trio in their 1958 hit by the same name, which many people credit as being the song that launched the folk music craze that lasted through the mid-60s, bringing success to groups like the Weavers, the Fortunes, Joan Baez, the New Christy Minstrels, and Peter, Paul, and Mary. What many people don't know is that song is connected to a true story of a North Carolina man named Tom Dooley, spelled Dula, D-U-L-A, but pronounced Dooley, who lived on the Yadkin River in Wilkes County, North Carolina, back in the 1860s when this story takes place. There's a lot of legend clouding this story, but if you want to get to the truth, check out Tom Foster West's book, The Ballad of Tom Dooley. The section of North Carolina where Tom lived was called Happy Valley, And in that valley, in the fertile lands along the Yadkin River, it was indeed a good life for the merchants and gentlemen farmers who had settled in that river valley and in the town of Elkville that the farms had grown around. But in the ridges of the mountains that bordered the valley, where it was far too rocky to plant any large crops, lived a wholly different group of people, and the class distinction between the valley people and the mountain people couldn't have been any greater in 1860. Tom Dooley was born and raised in these mountains and began enjoying the company of young women at the age of 14. He was a good looking young man, happy-go-lucky and talented with fiddle or banjo according to which story you listen to. He spent a lot of time with pretty young Ann Foster and with her cousin Laura Foster, which no doubt sparked some jealousy between the two. Soon Ann married James Melton, a successful cobbler, at the tender age of 14 which wasn't uncommon in that part of the country at that time, as 14 was an acceptable age for marriage, and in truth, her parents would have one less mouth to feed. James' work kept him on the road often, and Anne and Tom, as the story unfolds, were keeping the bed warm in his absence. In 1862, Tom, nearing age 18, joined up with Company K in the 42nd North Carolina Infantry Regiment and left the area to fight for the South, leaving at least two broken hearts behind, those of Anne and Laura Foster. When Tom returned from the war in the spring of 1865, he and Ann picked up the relationship where it had left off. Same house, same bed, only now she was about 18 and he was 21. Melton was no longer sleeping with Anne, and he didn't seem to mind that Tom was occasionally sharing his wife's bed in their one-room cabin. We know this and the fact that there were three beds in that cabin the third being occupied by Pearline Foster, a distant cousin of Anne's who had been hired to do house and farm work. Tom would sometimes share her bed as well, and sometimes Anne, Pearline, and Tom would sleep together. In March of 1866, Tom began visiting Laura Foster, who lived with her father Wilson Foster, and things heated up fast, she became pregnant. Laura had been with many men, the most ardent being Bob Grayson, who had proposed to her and swore he would have her in marriage, and somewhere along the way, according to what Tom was to discover soon after sleeping with her, she picked up syphilis. Tom was experiencing painful symptoms and went to Dr. George M. Carter in Elkville where he was diagnosed with syphilis, which left Tom angry. So angry, in fact, that he told a friend he was going to put through the woman who had given it to him. This expression, although ambiguous in meaning, does sound like a threat. On Friday, May 25, 1866, Wilson Foster woke up to find his daughter gone along with the mare he'd been keeping tied to a tree. She had left in the pre-dawn hours after bundling a change of clothes, took her father's horse, and was headed for Elkville. Along the way she met a local washerwoman, Betsy Scott, telling her she was on the way to meet Tom Dooley and that they were fixing to get married. When she failed to return, Foul play was suspected, especially in the light of the fact that Tom Dooley was still in town and had no idea where she could be. A search ensued for weeks, but no one could find any clue as to where she had disappeared. At that point, suspicion began to fall on Tom Dooley. About three weeks later, the mare returned, gaunt and with a broken halter. Searchers backtracked the horse to the tree to which it had been tied, seeing the soil had been disturbed by the horse's efforts to free itself, which led them to believe that her body might be nearby, as no one would leave their horse tethered to a tree unless some tragedy had befallen them. Still, despite the search, no trace of Laura. Feeling the heat now, Tom had left for Tennessee, changed his name, and began working for a man named Colonel James Grayson, the second Grayson in this story, but no relation to the first. Not long after Tom left, Perlene followed, which raised a few eyebrows. And when she returned, one of her friends spoke her mind, to which Perlene jokingly answered, Yes, I and Dooley killed her, and I ran away to Tennessee. Two weeks after that remark, she was arrested as an accessory to murder and taken to the Wilkesboro jail, at which point Perlene became scared and broke down. She said that Tom Dooley had killed Laura and that Anne had taken her to the site of the grave. She didn't explain how Anne knew where the body was buried. On September 1st, Perline directed a search party to the site that she said Anne Melton had described to her, and the search party, consisting of Jim Melton, James Isbell, David Horton, and Bob Grayson, started searching on horseback. James Isbell's horse shied near an area of freshly dug dirt, and they all dismounted and started digging soon finding Laura Foster's body. Her legs had been broken and there were what appeared to be stab wounds to her ribs beneath her breast. Also found was a small bag of Laura's clothing. Her body was taken to town, funeral arrangements were made and she was buried on a knoll that they still call Laura Foster Hill. The investigation had just begun when Bob Grayson, Laura Foster's suitor, testified that he had found a handkerchief belonging to Ann Melton in the shallow grave. An arrest warrant was put out for Ann Melton and Tom Dooley. Everyone who was ever associated with Laura was called in for questioning, causing several members of the search party to flee the county. A posse from Wilkes County, North Carolina soon showed up in Tennessee, thanks to information provided by Perline. But Dooley had left Colonel Grayson's farm Grayson, however, joined the posse, and they soon found and arrested Dooley, catching up with him in Pandora, Tennessee. At the first of two trials, Tom Dooley was represented by Zebulon Vance, former governor of North Carolina, who was no doubt seeking a high-profile case to lift him back into the public spotlight. The case against Tom Dooley was all circumstantial, but compelling. All the dirty laundry was aired, the promiscuity, the syphilis, and Perline Foster's testimony, and she didn't hold anything back. Dooley was found guilty, but the verdict was thrown out on appeal due to irregularities in the admission of testimony. It was only later that it was learned that Perline had passed along the syphilis to Tom, and that he had infected Ann and Laura. A New York Herald reporter who was covering it wrote, A state of immorality unexemplified in history of any country exists among these people and such a general system of free loveism prevails that it is a wise child that knows his father. The second trial was delayed twice as each side was granted a continuance due to witnesses failing to show up. During his weeks and months of waiting in jail Tom kept himself and others entertained with his fiddle playing. Legend always has it that he played banjo but testimony at the trial said he'd returned to his cabin to get his fiddle which he had left behind when he bolted for Tennessee. The song that became Hang Down Your Head Tom Dooley, according to legend, was begun by him during those lonely days awaiting his hanging. As to Ann Melton, Dooley allegedly wrote a 15-page statement in excellent English saying that she was not responsible for the murder and that he was, which got her off the hook, despite the fact that she had confessed her guilt to at least one person in the aftermath of the killing. The written confession was an amazing feat for a man who had received very little education. Anne was declared as innocent of any wrongdoing, although many in the community felt and still feel she had somehow helped Tom kill Laura. Word of her confession had gotten around as well. On May 1, 1868, Tom was taken to the Old Depot in Statesville to a makeshift gallows, which used a cart as a scaffold. According to the New York Herald, he spoke for about an hour about his childhood, politics, and all the people who had perjured themselves during his trial. He didn't confess to the crime or exonerate Ann Melton. For years it has been said that Ann Melton did it out of jealousy, and Tom covered up for her. In fact, NASCAR driver Morgan Shepherd has come forward to say that his great-great-aunt actually committed the bloody deed for which Tom paid the ultimate price. Tom Dooley, says Shepard, supposedly killed a woman on my grandfather's mountain in Ferguson, North Carolina. Tom was going with my great-great-aunt and this other lady, too. Before she died, my great-great-aunt told my grandmother that she killed the woman, and Tom took the blame. There were several songs written about the Tom dooley Laura Foster affair, but the one we'll be playing in a few minutes is the best known. People around that area of the Appalachians who pick a banjo or play a fiddle all know how to play. Tom Dooley. The first known recording was done by two men named Grayson and Whittier, with Grayson being the nephew of the Colonel Grayson who captured Tom Dooley. And the lyrics go like this. Hang down your head, Tom Dooley, hang down your head and cry. Killed poor Laura Foster, you know you're bound to die. You took her on the hillside, as God Almighty knows. You took her on the hillside, and there you hid her clothes. Take down my old violin, play it all you please. This time tomorrow, it'll be no use to me. And these verses were added years later. I met her on the mountain, and there I took her life. Met her on the mountain, I stabbed her with my knife. This time tomorrow, reckon where I'll be, down in some lonesome valley, hangin' from a white oak tree. This time tomorrow, reckon where I'll be, hadn't a been for Grayson. I'd have been in Tennessee. We thank Cowboy singer-writer T.J. Grayson for allowing us to use his version of the song here. Stop by his website at tjcasey.net for a whole bunch of good music for your enjoyment.
1: Throughout history, there have been many songs written about the eternal triangle. This next one tells the story of Mr. Grayson, a beautiful woman, and a condemned man named Tom Dooley. When the sun rises tomorrow, Tom Dooley must hang. Hang down your head, Tom Dooley, hang down your head and cry, hang down your head And we're.
0: Thanks for joining us at 1001 Stories for the Road, where every Sunday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, we release a new episode for your listening enjoyment. 1001 Stories for the Road was inspired by our big brother, 1001 Heroes, the research for which has turned up a treasure chest of great stories. Too short for our typical 45-minute shows at 1001 Heroes. And these stories, averaging about 15 to 20 minutes each, needed a new home. So we created 1001 Stories for the Road. We're available 24 7 at iTunes, our terrific host, AudioBoom.com, and everywhere great podcasts are found. We have two other 1001 shows out there, and we encourage you to give them a try. Those are 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories, and Mysteries, and 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales. You can catch all our 1001 network shows and archives, including this one, at www.1001storiespodcast.com and we encourage your posts at facebook.com forward slash 1001 stories for the road we'll be back real soon